Hello and welcome to that Blind Eyes podcast. Today I have a local legend, let's say, uh, in Stuart Lanau, um, who's been here, there and everywhere in terms of uh, media. Stuart, how are you? I'm well, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. No problem. Um, I just wanted to get been here and there, you know, amongst radio and, and what have you, and wanted to hear your story basically from where it all started. So, um, probably go back to that. Where where did it all start for you in terms of, you know, in your childhood and and stuff like that? Well, um, dare I whisper it quietly when I'm sitting in the middle of Coventry, but I was born in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, grew up uh, over there. Um, and that's where my, my parents and grandparents lived and, and so on. And we lived <clears throat> in the Longbridge area in Northfield, actually, near to the, the car factory. Um, and my one of my granddads um, ran one of the very first car transporter companies, taking the cars from the factory to the dealers and, in some cases, directly to the people who bought the cars. Um, wow. So that was sort of the, the bit, of, bit of the background. Both my father and my and his dad, uh, my other granddad, had been uh, in the military. Um, mm. And so that was a bit of background as well, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, we, we grew up over there. We moved from one house to another in Birmingham, as you do, um, over the course of your time. And eventually, um, because I couldn't do much else, really, I aspired to, um, to, to work in broadcasting. I, I had a couple of other jobs <clears throat> before I got there, um, working mm. as a, in the local council, for local council, Birmingham City Council for a time. Um, I played, played a fair bit of cricket, but played some football. Um, and always keen on sport, always keen on music. And uh, mm. eventually I was able to combine the two. I went to work to start with um, on a voluntary basis at the Birmingham Hospital Broadcasting Network, um, doing request shows for patients in hospital and things like that, and some sports programs. And mm. the convenient bit about that was that um, the BHBN or Birmingham Hospital Broadcasting Network studios were at the Edgbaston County Cricket Ground where work should play. Oh, perfect. Um, in those days, they're not there now, but that's where they used to be. And that was obviously very, very convenient because I can watch some of the cricket. Indeed, we commentated on um, Warwickshire matches as well while we were there. Mm. Um, and then eventually, um, the, the, with the Pirates, God bless them, having paved the way, BBC Local Radio came along. And BBC Radio Birmingham started in 1970. Um, and I was able to, to get a job with them. Oh, so is that is that basically where it will start for you in, in radio? You kind of... Like you said, you, you kind of mashed everything that you love together. and you know. Yeah, in, in, in many ways. I mean, when you go into um, broadcasting to start with, it's a question of finding your feet and really doing whatever's thrown at you. Uh, mm. In hospital radio, I was able to, as I say, play records, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in request shows for patients, do some football, do some sports commentaries, cricket mainly, a bit of football as well. But it, when you get into, the, into radio proper, as it were, it's a question then of doing whatever's available to do. Um, when they're still trying to work out what, what you can do, what you're, what you're good at doing. Yeah, and, I suppose back then, obviously, with it, all being, with it all being new, was it high in demand or was it kind of no one really knew what to expect? Well, if I tell you that when BBC Local Radio started, we had, I think, probably, probably the old story of one man and his dog listening to us because <laughs> we were on, in those days, they gave us an FM mono transmitter. We weren't in stereo. We were on FM. And in those days, nobody or very few people had an FM radio that people listened on medium wave or AM. 
mm. as it became called. Um, and um, in, in the fullness of time, the BBC local stations were given medium wave frequencies, and that suddenly gave them an audience. But to start with, there were very few people listening to us. Um, mm. But obviously, it was still handled professionally as if we had a huge audience. Um, and uh, it's a question of you know finding your feet, really. So is that is that uh, BBC Birmingham you say you first started at there? Yeah, BBC Radio Birmingham, it was called then. And yeah. in later years, they renamed it BBC WM, which is what it is now. Yeah. So then, I was reading now, is it then you moved, I don't know how far, has it moved you to the first radio station in Coventry? Is it Mercia Merci Sound? Well, before that, I went to Sheffield. Um, oh, because Sheffield, yeah. A friend of mine, um, who became a good friend of mine, Ian Rufus, I met him at Radio Birmingham. He left in 1972 to go to London to be part of the first commercial radio station to be broadcast in this country, legal commercial station, LBC, as it was in its old days. I mean, there's an LBC now, but it's a very different LBC today to the one that was around then. Then it was simply a new station just for London. Um, and that went on the air in 1973, followed a week later by Capital Radio in London. Um, and Ian was born and brought up in South Yorkshire. And okay. so I got a call from him in early 1974. He didn't stay in London very long. He, he got an opportunity to go back to his place of his birth almost. He was born in Rotherham, I think, um, and be the first programme controller, sorry, first news editor, I should say, of a news station called Radio Hallam in mm. Sheffield. And he called me and said, I know you're heavily into sport. Uh, I'm looking for a sports editor would you be prepared to come and join me? So he recruited me to be sports editor at Radio Hallam, covering Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, Rotherham, Chesterfield, Barnsley, Doncaster Rovers, mm. um, Yorkshire County Cricket Club, local Speedway, um, local rugby union, and so on. So, yes, yeah, so I stayed in Sheffield for six years. Was that, uh, was that an easy decision, do you think, to move to Radio Hallam? It was it was an interesting decision because uh, in the end it wasn't easy for me. But I've been offered a job, actually a full time job, because I've only been part time up until then at Radio Birmingham. So there was a temptation to stay in Birmingham, mm. um, and my mum was always telling me that it was never a proper job anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, so you know she, she was telling me you should stay in the city council, which, which I was still working in, um, stay there because that's a good solid foundation for for your future and don't go risking it this this crazy radio stuff but anyway <laughs> I, I did I went, to, went to radio hallam um working with some really great people there and spent six happy years in sheffield i suppose that going back to what your mum said that's, that's like how parents of today view the whole youtube thing in, in it like you know, they see it's crazy like making videos in youtube how, how can how can that be a job that's that's crazy so it's interesting to think that that's what parents back then thought of radio now it's just this big you know industry that loads of people want to get into well absolutely yes i mean broadcasting then was, was actually a bit more substantial that i would suggest than the youtube issues are today if you get on youtube and you make money out of it make yourself successful as obviously some people have then mm. that's great but it's a fairly precarious thing to do because there's no yeah. guarantee that you're going to hit the spot with youtube whereas in the in the world of what people regard as mainstream media it was a bit more organized and uh other people were taking the risk, I suppose, the investors and shareholders. Yeah. So, I mean, going just before you start, was when you went through school and college or university, was that always your plan to get into broadcasting? Yes. I mean, I, I, I didn't do very well at school. Um, I, I left with 
just two O-levels, which were the things in those days, and um, my parents despaired of me. I got my job at Birmingham City Council because I played cricket, if I'm honest with you. Um, the, the guy that recruited me was um, also the captain of the welfare department cricket team um, in the Nalgo League, Nalgo being the National Association of Local Government Officers. And in those days in Birmingham, it was a very competitive league. But cricket fans may remember the name of Neil Abberley, who played for Warwickshire, no longer with us, sadly, Neil. But he was a great cricketer. He played for the rates department. And uh, it was a very competitive league. And we, 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 we held our own. But because I could bat a bit and bowl a bit, he took me on, <laughs> regardless of my ability as a local government officer. So that's uh, how I got my job there. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Mm. So, going fast forward, and you 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 worked at BBC Radio Birmingham, then you went to BBC Radio Hallam, and then is that when after that is that when you went to Mercia Sound? Yes, I mean yeah. Hallam wasn't a BBC station. Hallam was a commercial station. Oh, okay, so yeah. Radio Hallam was a commercial radio station. But yes, Ian Rufus again was instrumental in all of this. He um, he left Radio Hallam after about five years or so, five and a half years to move to Coventry, where there was another new station being launched, and he was able to there then put his roots down as the programme controller of this new station to be called Mercia Sound. Um, and again, he phoned me and said, um, would you like to move to your own native West Midlands mm. um, and be sports editor here? Um, and I'd always had a hankering for Coventry City Football Club. I'd followed them from a distance for many, many years, always attracted by the activities of Jimmy Hill and what he'd been able to do yeah. and all the PR stuff that he, he embraced. Um, and I thought that was a great opportunity. He, want, he wanted me to present a daily program as well. Um, so I did a, an afternoon show, which we called Afternoon Delight, for want of a better title, Monday to Friday. And then I also did the sports programs and, and commentaries on, on Coventry City and, uh, and lots of other sport, Coventry Rugby, Coventry B, Speedway and so on. So is that is that be the is that the late seventies doing that? Was, yeah, yes, it was. It was actually nineteen eighty when Mercy began. Um, so seventy four, I was I went to Radio Hallam, stayed there for six years, and Mercy went on the air in nineteen eighty, um, forty years ago. And um, and yeah, we had a, a great team of broadcasters, and we hit the ground running. I mean, people in this part of the world, in Coventry and Warwickshire, then had only for their local radio stations. If they wanted to find local radio, they had BRMB from Birmingham. Hmm. They had BBC Radio Leicester. There was no BBC local radio in Coventry and Warwickshire, and there was no yeah. other commercial station. So when Mercia went on the air, there was really no local competition. And yeah. we achieved massive audience figures. I mean, record audience figures, actually. that have never, ever been beaten by any station in the country. Wow. Um, and, and big commercial success. Thankfully, a lot of advertisers came on board to support us as well. I said, and was all the sports, like you said, was that was all straight away, was that being broadcasted on there? Sport was on the, on the, on the station from the start, yes. Yeah. So what, what was your, what would you have any memories of uh, sports in the early, uh, your early years of Mercy Sound? Any one that stick out in your mind? But yeah, I mean, it was a very exciting time to be part of, of Coventry City. Gordon Mill was the, was the manager and, um, Lots of good friends, the guys that became good friends came and went as football, football friends. Gary Thompson in particular, I got a, a, a strong and lasting friendship with and, and one or two others as well. And of course, Bobby Gould came and went twice. Yeah. Um, and I got, I, Bob has become a, a good mate as well as, you know, over many years. 
Um, and then, of course, we get to 1987 yes. and the FA Cup final at Wembley, which was really great times. And that, that's like a... Back and listening to people who, like yourself, were around then, it was like a... It was something else, wasn't it, compared to what you'd see now for a club like Coventry to, to win the FA Cup, especially back then when the FA Cup was much more pre- prestigious um, than what it is now, I suppose. Yes, I mean, I, I think it's very sad that the FA Cup has been relegated in importance. I understand why. I mean, you know, money talks and the big money is in winning the Premier League and it's in playing in Europe and all of that. But um, the FA Cup is, to me, will always be, not just because Coventry City won it, but always be a very important competition that people take lightly at their peril because I think it's a great co- co- competition. I really do. But yeah, there's so many memories, so many things around that, that era of 87 yeah. when the Sky Blues won it. And I'd, I'd said, um, I'd made... <laughs> What I thought at the time was a rather silly thing to say, but I did say it. I said um, one of my ambitions would be to commentate on Coventry City winning the FA Cup or playing at Wembley in the FA Cup final and ideally winning the <laughs> FA Cup. And then, lo and behold, thanks to John Sillett and George Curtis and a great squad of players, we actually did it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Did you have a, a favourite out of that, that 87 squad? Was there one... They were all great guys, and it would be invidious to pick one out and say he was my favourite player. Yeah. But if, if yeah, just, I, I mean, you know, Oggy, obviously, now a pundit and a very good one too on BBC CWR, he was one of them and has been a, been a lasting friend. I, I'd like to think they were all friends mm. over the years. Sadly, we've lost Big Cyril, who was a lovely, lovely man. Um, uh, and if, if I was to choose anyone to say he was the player that probably was most instrumental in helping us win, yeah. um, it would probably be Dave Bennett. And I don't yeah, just I say that, that because <laughs> Bennett has also been a bit of a pundit in, in recent times, and I've worked with um, behind the microphone, as it were. But I say it because if you look back at the videos and remind yourself of the highlights of, of, those, of that cup run, of those matches, the mm. number of times Benno is, if he's not scoring himself, he's setting up the opportunities for other people for for Keith Houchin, for Cyril Regis, uh, Mickey yeah. Jin, uh, and, and others to score goals. And Benno, I mean, they, they were, as I say, it's invidious to pick one out and say he was the, the top player. But if I, was, if I was had to choose one player to say he was the most significant in achieving what we did, I think mm-hmm. it would probably be Benno and, and the skills he brought to bear. And going up to like going through the different rounds up to the final, was it always like each round was like, ah, we'll probably get knocked out here? Or was that belief that's like, we're going to win this? People often say that. At what point did you realise that it was going to be on? Well, I think in those early rounds, we were thinking, you know, we just got to win the next match and then see what happens. I don't think anybody really thought that we were going to win it really seriously. I mean, in, in your heart of hearts, you do, don't you? You think, yeah, well, yeah great, if we can win the cup. But mm-hmm. the victory at Manchester United, which was a really gritty, hard-fought victory, uh, one goal... Um, and if I remember rightly, the weather wasn't terribly brilliant, but it was, it was a, the, the, I'll always remember at the end of it, the Manchester United just couldn't believe it. They thought they were going to beat us easily and yeah. they didn't. We'd won that match and the City fans behind that one goal, we looked down from the press box and they were, they stood there and, and I think it took them maybe a minute to really let it all sink in that they'd actually be, we'd actually beat Manchester. But once they got there, they were they were just singing and shouting and cheering. Uh, the players, I think, I don't think they had to come back out again, but there was certainly 
a while before they all went into the dressing room because they were celebrating with the supporters. And I think at that point you thought, well, hang on a minute. If we can beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, yeah. we, we could win this thing. And then, and then you go forward. And, and then, of course, the crunch was that semi-final against Leeds at Hillsborough. Because mm. in the first half of that match, we were dreadful. We, we, we really, that was the worst we'd played, the worst 45 minutes we'd played through the entire competition. And you thought, well, OK, maybe this is going to be as far as we get. But the story, the famous story, of course, that John Sillett tells to this day, and the other players will tell you as well, is the famous story of the halftime interval where everybody's sitting in a dressing room and Snoz and George were trying to G him up because they hadn't, they really had not played well in the first half. Mm. And they opened the dressing room door ready to come out, thinking, well, we've done what we can, what will be, will be. And Lloyd McGrath was sitting by the door and he'd said nothing. Lloyd was, he, he could say his piece if he wanted to, but on this particular occasion, he just sat quietly taking it all in. And just before they all got up, they were just about to stand up to walk out. Lloyd's still sitting down and he starts singing. He went, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> and, and they all picked up on it, and they all joined in. And apparently, bearing in mind I worked in Sheffield for a time, so I knew one or two of the people around Hillsborough. And somebody who worked mm. there, a Sheffield Wednesday official, told me that he walked past the dressing room doors into the big hallway there before they go out and down the tunnel, as, as Hillsborough used to be. Mm. And he said... He saw the Leeds dressing room door open and they all they were just about to walk out as well. And suddenly they heard this coming from our dressing room and they stopped still. And the Leeds players walked out looking at each other. What the devil was that? <laughs> what is going on? And yeah. we're still in there singing, here we go, here we go, here we go. And we went out and that, the rest is history. The second half, we, we, we just lost it from there on. It was just, just that that sorry, that feeling just that just sends through all the players just and that, everything. That moment, whatever possessed Lloyd McGrath to do it, <laughs> he lifted it. And I, I talked earlier about Benno being the key player. Well, you know, and I said you could pick any one of them mm. the contribution they made. Lloyd's contribution throughout the entire cup run was also hugely, hugely significant. Yeah. And in the final, as we know, one of England's greatest players, Glenn Hoddle. People say Glenn Hoddle didn't get a kick. That's not quite true. If you look at the final, you can see him spraying some passes around, but he didn't do much that worked. He nice. didn't do much that was effective because yeah. breathing down his neck every second of the match was Lloyd McGrath. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and you have that you have that iconic image, don't you, of Keith Ouch and and his um his diving header. Yep. That's, from Benno's uh, cross, from Dave Bennett's cross. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So see I can very jealous and along with the young Cov fans, I think to be able to see a, a spectacle like that, you should say. Absolutely. It was a great day. Great day. So moving on from in the 80s, you, how long was you at um, Mercia Sound for? I was at Mercia for 15 years. I became, um, Ian moved on to another station again, then came back again as managing director and then moved back on, went to BRMB. So there was lots of changes happened over the years. But I became, first of all, when he moved initially, I became program controller. Hmm. Um, and then... When he moved on to BRMB, I became managed director at Mercia. And then we merged BRMB and Mercia. Then there was a number of other mergers that followed from that, um, including until we got to the point in the early 90s, 1990s, when Mercia was one of a number of stations taken over by a company called GWR, Great Western Radio. They were based in Wiltshire um, <clears throat> originally, and they ran a number of commercial radio stations across the country. 
Um, and the key comes to a point where the takeovers have happened and they obviously want to introduce change. They want to do things their way. And cutting the long story quite short, I found myself looking for something else. The, 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 my time at Mercy had come to an end. Um, and so I was looking around to see what, what else there was for me. Mm. Um, what, what did that eventually, did you, was you planning on staying in the, the broadcast industry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I said before that I, I couldn't do much else. I'd never done anything <laughs> really properly. I know I'd worked for the council and all that, but yeah. it, was, it was what I could do. And um, and as fortune had it, it took me back to, to Birmingham um, oh. because um, I was given the opportunity to um, do some um, standby presenting for presenters that were on holiday at Radio WM, as the station had now become. Mm. Um, and um, and then I got a phone call from them saying, well, thank you for doing what you've done the last couple of weeks sitting in for this presenter. What you may not have realised is that we are, we've been looking for a new breakfast show presenter. <laughs> and would you be interested in doing that? And I, w- I was there like a shock. And yeah. I spent a good few years over there as the breakfast show presenter in my home city of Birmingham on Radio WM. I suppose that, that kind of... Was that, was that at the time? Do you see that as like the peak? Kind of this is, you know, you're waking up your home city on radio. I'll always regard Mercia, I think, as the peak, if, I, if I'm honest. Um, it, but, but yes, it, it, it came close because it was, it was in my home city. It was important to me to yeah. to do that and, 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 and enjoy it. And I did. Uh, but then we came to a point where I fell out with the BBC, which is not difficult at times. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and I found myself looking around for other things. And you drift around. I did some freelance work for Sky Sports News. Um, I worked for um, a commercial radio station in Ireland. But from the UK, I was present- reporting on Premier League matches for a station called Radio... Uh, t- sorry, called Today FM, I should say. Today FM in, uh, in Dublin. Um, and, um, and then eventually, um, cutting again a long story very short, because I had another flirtation with local radio in this country, which wasn't terribly successful in management. Um, I found myself again getting some freelance work from BBC local radio, um, some BBC Radio Derby, which is a very happy place to work. Um, did some freelance work there, but it was going in and out, doing two or three weeks at a time and coming back again a few weeks later. I did one show at Her- Hereford and Worcester, um, one sports programme for them. I didn't do more than that. As much because it was such a complicated show, <laughs> it was really, really difficult because they had, I think they got two medium wave transmitters and an FM transmitter, and they had different things going out on each one all at the same time, and technically hugely complicated. I, I managed to do it for one show as a, as a holiday relief for the for the presenter, but um, I did only did the one. They didn't ask me back again. <laughs> um, go on, sorry. Oh, so I was going to say that's actually where I am now, right now, Hereford. Are you? Oh, yeah, right. that's, where, that's where I live now. So it's, uh, okay. well, it's, it's a lovely part of the world. But, yeah. but, but then, but then I, I was fortunate to, again, it, it's a question of, of luck, isn't it, and being in the right place, I suppose. Mm. Um, a friend of mine found out that I was looking for work, um, interested in finding another radio station to work for full-time, a, a guy called Bernie Keith, who, again, people in Coventry may remember from the days of Mercia FM by which Mercia Sound became as time went by. And I, I'd given Bernie his first job in radio. He'd written to me, sent me a, an audition tape when I was 
program controller and managing director. And I, and I recruited him, gave him a job at Mercia. And we remained friends and kept in touch for a while. He found out I was available and said, we've got some fill-in work at BBC Radio Northampton, which is where he was at the time. Yeah. So I said, oh, great. What do I do? So he said, well, let me put a word in for you with the, with the boss. And if they've got some opportunities, they'll call you. Well, they did. And again, I went over and did a couple of weeks freelance standing in. I stood in for Bernie, in fact, for a week while he was on holiday. Um, and then they phoned me up later and said, we are looking for a lunchtime presenter. So I went over and I did two weeks, two years rather, on the, the lunch show, which was a consumer-based program. Um, so I did two weeks, uh, two, two, if I say two weeks, two years on that. Um, and then the breakfast show presenter decided he was going to move on within the BBC. So I ended up hosting the breakfast show at Radio Northampton for a number of years, um, mm. about seven years, I think. And then um, th we all decided it was time for a change from there. And I went on to the drive time show in the late afternoon. Um, so yeah. by the time I, I finished at Radio Northampton, which was last year, I'd done 10 years there. Um, I, I presented every show in daytime on the station over the period of time. But, um, <laughs> completed completely, it. Completely the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> completed it. But, um, but yeah, but I, I decided last year, I, you know, enough was enough. I, I, bearing in mind when I did the breakfast show for Radio Northampton, I'd been getting up in Coventry at half past three in the morning to drive over to Northampton, down the M1, M45, M45, M1, um, to be there in time yeah. to do a breakfast show starting at six o'clock. So um, it was, I, I'd, I'd done my stint and I, I felt, you know, I no longer want to do daytime radio. I still want to work on the radio, but I no longer want to do daytime radio. And they very mm. kindly, after I took semi-retirement, as I insisted on calling it, um, using me to do some fill-ins uh, when people were on holiday, even after I finished regular stuff, um, until COVID comes along, coronavirus. And, yeah. and obviously that put a stop to that. Although, you know, if, if and when one day things become easy, it might start again. But... I'm not holding my breath for that. In the meantime, I've, I've BBC CWR have uh, involved me still in covering Coventry City, so I've still been able to maintain an involvement on the air. Yeah. So in in the years, say from the, you know the early nineties up until now, it, can you notice something change in in the, the industry itself, and has it become easier or difficult? Or there are many changes, and it never becomes easier. Um, Many, many changes have taken place. I mean, for, for a start, um, you've got lots more competition. Uh, the BBC yeah. is now facing competition right across the board. You've got commercial radio providing news channels, talks channels, classical music channels, not just pop stations, although there are plenty of those as well, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, so lots more competition. What, you, what BBC therefore does to uh, make sure it can compete is a question that's debated long and hard by all involved, the presenters as well as the management, and has been debated long and hard. Um, you've got the, the political issues surrounding the coverage given to things like Brexit, um, mm. given to things like the, the, the way the government's handled coronavirus issues, and that's obviously something that's still going on. Um, and, and, and you also have um, the, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign that's continuing to do with the, the, the racial discrimination and so on that's 
um, obviously uppermost in many people's minds for very good reason. So there's lots mm. of things have happened in recent years, but also over the over a period of time, um, there's been lots of change. Yeah, and as I say, it never gets easier. And did you always see whenever there was a new competition on the horizon? Did you always see that as a challenge and just just go full steam ahead and didn't worry about whether they were going to kind of you know I don't over think, top of you? Yeah, I don't think you can ever ignore the competition. It's always a mistake to do that. Um, the, the, the usually you'll find that the majority of people who set up in competition to you or, or in competition to anybody else come to that are serious, competent broadcasters. And that's certainly the case with the commercial stations that have now launched directly as rivals of the BBC. I mean, you've got Times Radio is the latest one, staffed yeah. by some very experienced, high-quality presenters, as you'll find on uh, Talk Sport, on Talk Radio, on Classic FM, on Scala Radio, uh, and, and so on, right across the board. There's a lot of Quality broadcasters, you, you, you should never take them for granted. Uh, yeah. Yes, they're a challenge to be met. The way you meet that challenge with the programs that you do and the way that you go about it is for management to ultimately decide on. All of us have the opportunity to have our say, not necessarily to change their opinions, but um, sometimes we agree with what they do. Sometimes we don't agree with what they do. But it's our job to, you know, if you're employed by somebody, to do the job that they expect of you. Mm. And I can I can safely say any time that I've listened to the um the Friday evening shows you do for Coventry City, I've always always enjoyed it uh, very much. It was a a good. Uh, sometimes you get some loopy callers, <laughs> should we call them? But I've I've always enjoyed uh, your your presenting it. So it's it's always been a you know a good standard, a high standard. That's very kind of you, Jamie. Thank you. So fast forwarding, obviously, to that um and you know coming to BBC CWR and and hosting the Coventry, Coventry City show, was that something you've always enjoyed just because Coventry, like you said before, is, was close to your hat? Absolutely, yes, yes. Talking about Coventry City Football Club is something I could do all day with, with anybody. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it is something very close to my heart. And I followed the fortunes. Um, I'm impressed, hugely impressed, as I think we all are with Mark Robbins and what he's done there. Mm. Um, and the ambition and the, and, the, and the fact that he's a very driven man, actually. Uh, in yeah. terms of what he wants the club to do and how he wants it to succeed and move forward. Um, and over the years, we've we've had some managers that, well, we all know, don't we? Managers that we've rated, managers we haven't rated. Same yeah. with players. Always something to talk about, always something to converse about. And, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. And would you say, obviously, you've been able to follow Coventry for the best part of 40 years plus. Would you say that the past three years or so is probably the most exciting in I don't know, 20, 25 years? Probably more. Uh, certainly been very exciting. Whether it's been the most exciting is another matter. I mean, you know, there, there will be people that will take you back to the first division as it was before we became founder members as we were of the Premier League. And yeah. that in itself was exciting, being part of that new that new setup. Um, and we've been through some exciting times, yes, in recent, in recent years. We've also been through some really dismal and sad times, haven't we? A relegation, yeah, for example, going down to the bottom tier of the Football League again, which is where mm. Jimmy Hill took us from in the first place. And when I say Mark Robbins is a driven man and has ambition, I'm sure that, having spoken to him quite a lot, 
um, and I'm not going to tell any secrets. I'm not going to quote things that he said uh, mm -hmm. out, of, out of order, but this is just my perception, having spoken to him many times, is that Mark is driven by the ambition to emulate, if he can, what Jimmy Hill did. He probably wouldn't express it and articulate it in quite those terms. Yeah. Um, and he probably would um, sh shrug aside people calling him a legend, though many people <laughs> do do that right now. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that deep down inside, he's taken the club from League Two, or the fourth division as it really is, through to the championship, the second division. The next mm. step is the top tier. And that's what yeah. Jimmy Hill did. And I'm sure if Mark Robbins could achieve that with Coventry City, he would be more than happy to accept the mantle of legend because he would thoroughly deserve it. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of fans have already labelled him and to a degree, quite rightly so, from, like you said, the how we've been in the dark times we've had for the past 10, 15 years. And, to, you know, to take a club and just kind of, that's pretty much almost buried and to just take it to new heights. It's, it is, it is when, when you compare it to Jimmy Hill's time, it, it, it kind of does ring a lot of alarm bells in terms of similarities. It does. It rings lots of bells. I wouldn't necessarily say alarm bells. But alarm some, bells. <laughs> some, 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 some good bells. Like. Good, but yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so we might as well stay on Coventry City. Um, what what's been what was your opinion as a whole on the quite and it kind of got weird and then obviously the final confirmation that we were champions of League One. It was a weird season, wasn't it? Because yeah. of um, coronavirus, because of COVID nineteen, um, very odd for many people. And there was the the big debate about whether um, the season whether we should play on and finish the fixtures or, or what we should do. Um, I think, at the end of the day, the, the the agreement to do what we did to end the season as we did and to use average points per game and all the rest of it was probably the right one. It was the safest and most sensible thing. And mm. even uh, Darren McAntony, the chairman of Peterborough United, who was very, very voluble, very, very vocal in um, trying to say that we should finish the season <laughs> because he said his club was going to miss out, which they did. Yeah. In promotional terms, but even he would have, was prepared to say and did say on a couple of occasions that you know Coventry City should be promoted. They deserve to go up as champions, mm. and I think that's right. Um, and it's interesting to consider that season in, in many ways. If, if it was, if if you can do, bearing in mind it wasn't finished yeah. in terms of the fixtures, because in the early part of the season, on the phone-in shows on a Friday evening on CWR. We've got many people, quite rightly, expressing anxiety that we weren't scoring enough goals, bemoaning the fact that we weren't creating enough chances, saying that we were getting away with too many draws and not winning enough games. And so there was, it was by no means a, a given in the first part of the season no. that we would end up as champions. But we, we've, we've, we've got a squad there. We had a squad there. Mark had assembled it with his recruitment team who I think deserve a lot of credit for what's happened. 100%. Um, and, and, and they recruited, they could, they could get results. And that's what it's all about. It's results business, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the day. And um, he, he managed to pull that squad together and put a team out that got results and, and got the results that were necessary to win promotion and not just win promotion, but win promotion as champions and deservedly so. Mm. It was like like you said, it was 
bit of a strange one because remember we went on like a we were in like five of the first games of being at St Andrews because that was another kind of uh, stumbling block when it that we were playing at St Andrews and um, everyone was like is that going to have a big effect on the team or the players or you know whoever and to begin with it didn't seem like it and we went through a sticky patch was it around October November time I think and and then we kind of picked up in December and that was you know it was it was a strange season to look back on and I think don't know if you'd agree but the the point where I'd pinpoint uh, where it kind of started to pick up and everyone started to believe again was the win against Fleetwood if you remember yeah. that um, yes. Tuesday night and and the draw at Portsmouth. Yes, right at the start, that was. Don't forget that. That was that was absolutely incredible. That was like for that. I suppose that looking back now, that foreshadows things that were to happen across the whole season. I'd like, never say die attitude and keep going and just don't give up. Indeed, and 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 interestingly enough, of course, we start this season, don't we, at MK Dons, albeit in the League Cup and against a team from a lower division, but mm. nonetheless winning. With ten men on the pitch, yeah. So maybe that's a, a, an omen for the season that lies ahead. Who knows? Yeah. But you, you mentioned St Andrews. Um, I have to tell you that St Andrews has always been one of my least favourite grounds. <laughs> I mean, okay, Coventry did very well there last season, and, and let's hope they play well on that pitch again in the season ahead. But um, it's one of, always been one of my least favourite grounds. Just an awkward ground to get to. Mm. Um, an awkward ground to to, to negotiate your way to. Um, when I was growing up in Birmingham, going back to where we started the conversation, mm. um, there was the, the sporting interest in my family. My dad was uh, wasn't football. My dad was a rugby referee in local local rugby, and he was a local cricket umpire. Um, so it was rugby and cricket was really the the sport that I was most familiar with as I was growing up in my childhood. Uh, although mm. my granddad, his father, used to every Saturday evening sit down five o'clock. It was those days. It was on the light program, which became Radio Two, to listen to the football results, sports report, and that famous music that still they still play today. And I yeah. used to sit at his elbow while he checked his football pools coupons, listening to these strange <laughs> names of Plymouth Argyle and Heart of Midlothian, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, yeah. uh, Never knowing what they meant or where they were, mm. um, that was my introduction to football in many ways. But as I grew up and with my my mates at school, we went to watch football, and we went to many different matches, many different teams. We went to, went to see St Andrews was ne- was never one of my favourite grounds to go to. It was always one if you were going to go there, you want to get away as quickly as possible. <laughs> it, was, it could be intimidating at times. So going back to your family, was so was it was it just football? Non, non, I can't speak. Non-existent. No one, no one really took notice. It purely just rugby and cricket. I wouldn't say it was non-existent. I mean, you know, when it came, just going back to what you were saying about the importance of the cup final. On cup final day, we would sit round the, the the television, the tiny little black and white screen, and and, and eventually colour, but black and white to start with, and watch the cup final. Um, mm. And we would probably watch England play. I, I would say, and we, we, we took an interest in what the local teams were doing. Um, but in terms of going to watch sport, I would go with my dad to watch him referee rugby matches. I would go with him when he was umpiring a cricket match. And yeah. as time went by, I didn't play rugby, but I did play a, lot, a fair bit of cricket. And 
as time went by, I played a fair bit of football as well, as it turns out. I also, indeed, ran my own Sunday league team as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think going to the, uh, let's say, Andrews thing, I can I can agree with that. Is, uh, coming from Coventry anyway, it is a... Uh... It's an awkward place to get to, mm. um, and I, I don't have massive problems with the ground itself. But yeah, it's just it's, it would be much easier if <laughs> if it was in Coventry. I could say that. Well, yes, wouldn't it just? Wouldn't it just? So um, yeah. So you, obviously, the season we had a great season, and eventually it got called off. And like you said, the right decision was made. I think. Um, how how would you think Coventry will fare? going into the uh, difficult but at the same time exciting championship season. Yes, it's going to be an interesting season, isn't it? Um, and I know a lot of people are saying, quite rightly, you know, we'll settle for bottom half. We'll settle for mid, mid-table, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. and I can understand that entirely and that's exactly the right attitude to take because the, any manager of any team in any league, even if you're Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, your first target is survival. Your first yeah. job is to make sure that you're not going to be relegated. Um, and I'm sure that will be how Mark Robbins will approach it. Um, mm. You can't be solely like that. You can't get too negative, but that's got to be the priority to make sure that you're still there, at least in that same division the following season. Now, I said earlier on, I think that the recruitment team that Mark has behind him uh, should take a lot of credit for what we've achieved in, in the last few seasons. And, they, their work again for this season, we've seen it um, in practice, bringing in players, looks impressive. I mean, they're players that have come with their various reputations. Mm. Players, once, once we've seen their names, we've all raced to, to Google or Wikipedia or whatever <laughs> to look them up and see what we can find out about them, to turn to other clubs they've played for, how they've yeah. done, what the stats are. You have to say that it's an impressive degree of recruitment given that you know that he hasn't had or the club hasn't had a huge amount of money to play with um, mm. and I think bearing in mind what Mark Robbins has done in recent seasons bearing in mind the spirit that he's built into his side and the way he wants them to play um, and and the fact that they have been successful in the way they have over the last two or three seasons it would not surprise me I put these words carefully. It would surprise me to see them at least flirt with the playoff places at the end of this season. I think mm. it's, I'm not saying they'll get a playoff place or be promoted at all, but I think it, they'll, they'll, I, I think they could be there or thereabouts. Yeah. I'll come back to what I said to start with, though. Survival and mid-table would be brilliant. Um, mm. Staying in that league, which is going to be very competitive. Um, it, it's and it and Mark has always said. Um, about the championship compared to League One. What a huge, huge step up it is from one league to the other. I asked him a question last season about Tom Bayliss, who had moved to Preston and wasn't in the Preston side. And I said, why some fans and myself surprised not to see him get the opportunity to show what he can do? And he said, well, be surprised. But the step up from League One to the championship is huge. And yeah. we're asking Coventry City Football Club as a, as a squad now to make that step up, albeit with new players, albeit with hopefully enhanced and improved quality available to the manager. Um, but yeah, survival would be great. I think it's, without wanting to put any pressure on anybody, I think it's <laughs> quite possible that we could do better than that. Yeah, I've, I'm, I think I'd have to agree as well. I wouldn't, 
like I said, we're not saying we will get to the playoffs or promote anything. But yeah, like you said, from what we've seen in the past and the unexpectedness of what's happened in the past, I, I wouldn't be surprised myself if we just flirted with that, even for like you know, the first half of the season and then tailed down to mid-table. It, it, we, I think we're capable of that with the, the spirit that's in the team. I think that that's underestimated a lot of the time. The momentum that the team have and the good feeling amongst everyone can really take a group of people to high places. I think that's absolutely right, Jamie. And and the the thing to bear in mind about this season, and we, we talked about last season being strange, this season will also be odd in that yeah. the shortened period of time over which to play the matches. There will be a lot of the season where there are two matches a week being played, which is one of the reasons why you need a big squad, as we now have. Um, and it, it's... What, what you can't afford to do is to allow the season to get away with you at the start. It's it's one thing to talk about survival and maybe doing well. It's another and all too easy to slip up and, and, and find yourself struggling. And I think we've got to try and get off to the best possible start, really. And I know maybe that's an obvious thing to say and you want to do that every mm. season. But but I think the matches will soon go by in this this particular season and in this yeah. league anyway, whether a fewer ma- you're playing fewer matches than you did last last time round, and mm. if you're not careful, then you if you slip up too too often too early, you find yourself struggling. And we don't really want to be in that situation. So I hope we get off to a cracking start. Um, I'm not saying win every game, but picking points up uh, in the way that they have done in the yeah. in times, in the way they did at the start of last season, that's going to be critical, I think. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it'll be a waste season in the fact that there won't be any fans for a number of games as well, which I think will play a big part in home and away ties. And yes, it will. Yes, you it know, will. you don't have, you know, you home, especially the teams that are used to having big crowds. You know, like Derby and Forest and Sheffield Wednesday, they won't have that fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand people behind them shouting at them when they're doing well and saying everything goes for away fans. So. It will be interesting to see if that home slash away ties make any difference to the results. Yes, it will. It, it's going to be difficult for everybody in in many many ways. Um, the thing I'm not looking forward to is when I watch Coventry City play on television, which, as you say, a lot of us will have to do to start with at least. Is I'm not looking forward to the, the fake crowd noise that drives me <laughs> mad. I really don't like it. I just find it so distracting. But anyway. Let's hope it's not too long before the fans are in the game. It throws me up when, I, when I've listened to it. I've, I've, somehow, I forgot that we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there's actually fans there. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, well, I'm not a massive fan of it either. But, so, yeah, so going on, obviously, that's the future. What would you say you'd like to think the future holds for yourself personally? Well, as I say, I'm, I, I am semi-retired now. And um, uh, first of all, the COVID restrictions have changed what we can, at least in the first instance, have changed what the radio stations and all broadcasters, all parts of the media can do. There's only there's fewer people going to be allowed into the stadiums. Um, so I presume, in fact, I'm pretty certain for BBC CWR, that will essentially be Clive Eakin as the commentator and Oggy as the main pundit alongside him. And that's it. Um, now, I, there's an opportunity for me to be involved with Clive from time to time, not every week by any means, but from time to time 
on some of the Friday programmes, uh, because again, the COVID restrictions affect the number of people allowed into the studios and so on and so forth. So all, all of these things come to come to play a part. And the BBC is going through many changes. I think it's an open secret. The BBC um, is having to make a lot of savings, a lot of economies. And there are a number of people that are no longer in jobs at the BBC and there will be sadly others moving on as mm. well. Um, so I, I have no great um, uh, perspective on, on you know, being a, a, as regularly on the air as I have been before. I understand exactly what's going on. Um, mm. There are things I'm looking at that will keep you busy. Um, I am looking to do with radio. I am in another role completely. I'm the chair of, Co of Health Watch Coventry, which is um, a, a, an organisation that represents the patient within the National Health Service by conducting mm. surveys and finding out what patients think about how the health service functions. Um, so that keeps me occupied, keeps me very busy and, and very interested, particularly just now with COVID and so on. Um, so I, I, have, I have plenty to keep me going and plenty to keep me interested. Um, but, I'm, I, you know, and I, my, my broadcasting career is by no means over, but it's mm. not going to be as frequent or as regular as it, as it used to be. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. And obviously I'm, I'm planning on doing this on a regular basis. So you're, you're welcome to come on and talk Coventry City whenever. <laughs> that's whenever, very kind, Jamie, thank you. <laughs> whenever an expert is needed, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've, in, I've enjoyed our enjoyed our conversation um thank you for coming on and telling me and everyone else uh your, your story from the beginning that's very kind of you jamie thank you for asking me and i can i just say to you and the many many city fans who have listened to the show that i've pre presented and, and more than that supported their club through thick and thin sadly all too often through thin but um um uh, well done for maintaining your support. Sky Blue mm. Army may not be present in the stadiums when this new season gets underway for the reasons we've discussed, but um, that they still play a huge, huge part in yeah. making sure their football club is properly represented uh, and well represented, and it always is. Um, so, so thank you for what you do. Thank you for the, what the fans do. Um, and let's hope that we do have another success story to talk about over this coming season and uh, you know for many people to repeat the point I'm sure survival would be successful but I think I just feel in my water <laughs> that we could <laughs> do even better than that yeah I want, I'd have to agree with you on that the, the, the Scarborough Army are they're a different breed when it comes to supporting the Coventry City I think and it and I think I'm, I'm proud and probably you are yourself to be a part of it and Indeed. be able to follow a club as, as special as we are so yeah so thank you Stuart for coming on and thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if anyone wants to find you, or probably most people are listening will already have you on social media, but if they do, is there anywhere they can find you specifically? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and it's fairly easy to if you just put my name in, you'll soon, you'll soon find where I am. Yeah. So yeah, so thank you everyone for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed and make sure you subscribe and follow if you want a notification for when the next uh, podcast goes live. And I'll catch you all soon. Jamie, thank you.